Pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for that silent Saturday. And now for a very noisy resurrection day. Father, we thank you that the blood was shed for us and the promise was given that we too shall live. Father, I thank you for resurrection remembrance every Sunday when we come around the table of our Lord. Especially now, Father, when the whole world, believers and non-believers alike, think about the sacrifice that was made and consider the resurrection. I pray, Father, that all would more than consider but taste the resurrection of Christ. Thank you, Father. Touch my tongue and my lips. Let your words flow forth and bring us to decisions that will bring glory and honor and praise to you and peace and strength to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and shared, the, shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. You know, we usually turn to this particular passage in Hebrews when we want to talk about the possibility of a Christian falling away from the Lord. This passage certainly describes Christians and the disgrace that a fallen Christian brings upon the Lord, but we usually don't think about it being a great Easter passage, do we? It's not one that we would normally turn to for something like that. But the one word to describe Christians in verses 4 and 5 that has always intrigued me, tasted. Tasted. Those who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. What happens when you taste something? Well, you find it's good like breakfast this morning here at the church. Or it's bad. If it's bad, you're through with it. If it's good, you want some more. I carried my plate back and they said, Brother Tom, there's more. And I wanted more, but I was good. I threw the plate away and left. And if you have tasted of the heavenly gift, the Holy Spirit, the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if you have tasted of this, you want more of that as well. And I don't blame you. I want more too. Every day at devotion time, I, I get something more and I think, wow, I don't know if I saw that before, but I see it now. I want more and more of it. We first taste of these things when we get our first taste of the resurrection. The resurrection is the final part of the gospel or the good news story of Jesus Christ. 
We have the death, and that's part of the good news story. We have the burial, and that's part of the story. And then there's the resurrection. Oh my. That's what we're here to talk about today. Once all three elements have been shared, then the gospel has been told, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And once we have touched those elements with our own lives, then we have received the gospel and we have tasted the resurrection. After you have tasted the resurrection, you can trust everything about Jesus Christ. Jesus made some startling claims during His lifetime. His claims outraged the people of His time and still do outrage a lot of people today. Jesus declared that He came from heaven. He said that He was more than a great teacher, more than a prophet or a miracle worker. Jesus pronounced Himself to be God in the flesh. Jesus also startled people by claiming to be the only path to everlasting life. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this? John 11, 25 and 26. Either what He said was true or it was not. There is no middle ground. Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. The resurrection validated His claim to be God in the flesh. And there's one undeniable fact about that first Easter morning. Jesus' body was gone from the tomb. That's undeniable. Historians, atheists, whoever, they all agree His body was gone from the tomb. No one has ever produced a body. No one has ever successfully refuted the fact that the body of Jesus was missing. Jesus' body was gone from the tomb and that leaves us with only four options. Option number one, His followers stole His body. Now this was the report that the religious leaders circulated when Jesus' body turned up missing. But is it even plausible? Did these men have the courage and intelligence to steal their master's corpse? If you think it's possible, you obviously haven't read what the New Testament says about the closest circle of His followers. They were neither cunning nor bold at this point. Only one of them had the courage to even show up at Jesus' execution. The rest had scattered like scared sheep. They weren't even the ones who buried Jesus. Even after reports of Jesus' resurrection began to circulate, look at what His followers were doing. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. John 20, verse 19. Not only were they fearful, these men just didn't understand or even believe in the resurrection. Although Jesus had told them over and over again that it was going to happen, they never got it. Now when He rose 
Early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Mark 16, 9-11. Initially they doubted, but something happened that changed these fearful men into bold witnesses for the resurrection. Tradition tells us that the remaining disciples of Jesus, with the exception of possibly one, they were all tortured and executed for their faith. Think about that. At least ten of them tortured and executed for their faith. These men who hid behind locked doors, these men who told Mary Magdalene, ah, I, don't, I don't really think so. They were tortured and executed. Each one was given the choice, deny Jesus Christ of Nazareth or die. They all chose death. They saw Jesus back from the grave and it changed their lives forever. Now you can argue that people throughout history have died for things that were not true, and I'd agree. But nowhere in history do you find people suffering torture and death for something that they absolutely know is a lie. Logically, it can, we cannot conclude that Jesus' followers stole the body and fabricated that story because they wouldn't have done that and then allowed themselves to be tortured. Option two, the authorities stole the body. A simple question to ask, what would be their motive? The Jewish leaders and Roman authorities would have loved to squash Christianity from the start. They viewed Christianity as a threat to their power base. Swiping the body would only lend credibility to the movement where it was rumored that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. That was the last thing they wanted. If they had the body, they would have paraded it to Jerusalem. But they couldn't because they didn't have the body. Option three, Jesus didn't really die. A number of years ago, some guy devised what they called the swoon theory. This theory asserts that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, but merely lost consciousness. As the story goes, when He was placed in the cool tomb, He revived and walked out. Moved that big old stone, you know, got out of there. Rejoining His disciples and establishing Christianity. Now, in my mind, this theory takes just too much faith. Just too much faith to believe that He just, he just passed out and, and then revived in a cool tomb and somehow got that big stone moved, got past the guards and got out there and established Christianity. Just too much faith. There are too many impossibilities to overcome. Death on the Roman cross occurred when the victim gave in to exhaustion. To stay alive on a cross, you have to constantly push your body up to, accept, to exhale. Because you see, when you're hung on a cross and there is pain in your feet and your hands from holding yourself up, you have to let yourself go down. And after a while, everything moves up and pushes your lungs up and you can't breathe anymore. So then you have to push yourself back up and breathe again. And then you drop again and so you die of exhaustion. And if you pass out, you die of suffocation. The swoon theory just doesn't hold water. And option number four, the resurrection is real. 
the evidence weighs strongly in favor of this option. Not only was the tomb empty, Jesus made a minimum of ten bodily appearances after the resurrection. And since that time, millions have trusted in the testimony of those first eyewitnesses. See, once you've tasted the resurrection, you can have confidence in Jesus and all of His claims. Because the validity of the resurrection is completely trustworthy. And you can have a fresh start. We all need a second chance. Can somebody say amen to that? Yeah. We all need a fresh start. And, and it's, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes that possible. We couldn't have a fresh start without it. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Romans 6.4 tells us that. As He was raised up and given a new life, we can have a new life, a fresh start. God promises us a fresh start, a completely new life, simply by trusting in Jesus and tasting His resurrection. Taste the resurrection and have that fresh new start in your life. Also, you can have the power to live life right. You know, you go into any bookstore now, and you're going to find the self-help section is one of the biggest sections. I mean, a lot of folks over there looking at these self-help things. We all want to improve ourselves. At least most people do. Inherently, it seems that we all have this drive to do a little better than what we're doing. You can find a book that will tell you how to get a job. You can find one that will tell you how to lose weight. How to have better relationships. Even how to grow hair on your head. I think I need to find that one. That they all promise to teach you how to be the kind of person you only dream of being. There's only one problem. They don't give you the power to make those changes. They teach you how you can do it and you can read all you want, but they don't give you the power. Without power, all that advice is absolutely useless. The resurrection is different. It gives us the power to live life right the way God intends us to live, intended us to live, and the way that we desire to live. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give, will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not only to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Romans 8, 11 to 14. i got to level with you folks. <clears throat> this promise is only for Christians. If you're not a Christian, this promise isn't for you. It is only for Christians. Those who take God at His Word, who have tasted the resurrection of Jesus Christ and have received God's Spirit into their beings. Now think about it. The power that broke the chains of death and revived the body of Jesus. The power that rolled away the stone and, and shocked and made the, the guards as dead that power courses through the veins of every person who's ever tasted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we rejoice on this day. 
because we have that power in us, if God's Spirit can defeat death, there is no habit, no sin or attitude that can withstand His power in your life. If you want to live life right, taste the resurrection, and then you'll have hope for the future. Everyone wants to know what happens after you die. Back to that bookstore. You're going to find a lot of books telling you what happens after you die, won't you? Movies being made. Oh, I died for so many minutes and I came back and tell you all about it. Oh, I got to see what, what's going to happen. Well, you know, it says it in this book right here. But anyway, we got to look it up and we got to get all worried about it. People want to know what's going to happen. Do we just flicker out like a flame, never to be seen or heard from again? Maybe our lives are like smooth stones. You remember the kind that you used to grab and skip across a pond or a lake and they, 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 they bounce once twice, uh, maybe three times on a real good day, four or five times, and, and then that rock just drops silently beneath the surface of the water. It's gone forever. Is that, is that what happens? According to the Bible, nothing could be further from the truth. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, those who trust and follow Him will live forever. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Because He's the first one raised, will be raised as well. When you taste the resurrection, you get hope for the future. You know, I have a feeling today there's an awful lot of folks in here and watching online who feel hopeless. They're thinking about the future, their future, the future of their country, future of just the future. Feel hopeless. You taste the resurrection, you have hope forever. Forever. But how do you taste the resurrection? You can't taste something from a distance, you know. You can't taste it over the telephone. You can't taste it on the internet. Or watching TV, watching those cooking shows. Oh my goodness. I love, I love to watch those cooking shows, you know. And I, I, I think, oh. Oh, I like to have that, especially those Cajun cooks. I love that Cajun stuff, you know. We were down in southeast Texas this last week holding revival and got some Cajun, and I love that. I, oh, I can almost taste it, but I can't taste it. It's on TV. I want it right here, right now, in the motel room where I am holding this revival. You know, I'd like to have it, but I can't. You can't taste something by looking at it. You can't taste something by saying, well, I believe that's what it is, yeah. Can't taste that. To taste something, you have to touch it. You have to hold it. You have to experience it. Romans 6 tells us how to taste the resurrection. Paul is reminding the Christians in Rome how they tasted the resurrection, how they touched it. There's only one place in the Bible that tells us how we touch the death and the resurrection of Christ. It's verses 3 to 5 in Romans 6. Do you not know? that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We were buried therefore by, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. That's how we taste the resurrection. When we accept Jesus Christ in faith, when we repent of our sins, when we confess Christ, and when we are buried in the water grave of baptism, that's 
when we taste the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened. It really did. It's not a myth. It happened. And because of that event in human history that we are celebrating today, you can trust Jesus. You can have a fresh start. You can have the power to live life right. And you can have a future that extends beyond your death. What are you going to do about that? You're just going to acknowledge it and say, yeah, yeah, well, I'm, I can see that. Well, even the demons do that. But they've got no hope. Each year at the University of Chicago Divinity School, they have, a, they have what's called Baptist Day. Now, I don't normally call out denominational names, but that's how this story goes, and that's going to give it to you that way. It's called Baptist Day. It's a day when Baptists in the area are invited to the school because administrators want the Baptist dollars to keep rolling into their divinity school. And so they invite them all to come. And, and uh, on this day, attendees are invited to bring a sack lunch and to eat outdoors in a grassy picnic area. And every Baptist day, the school invites one of the greatest minds, what they consider one of the greatest minds, to lecture at the Theological Education Center after lunch. And this doesn't only speak about this situation, but a lot of what's happening in Bible colleges or theological seminaries nowadays. But they invite someone to come and speak. One year they invited Dr. Paul Tillich to speak. Dr. Tillich spoke for two and a half hours. I'm not going to do that, okay? He spoke for two and a half hours proving in his mind that the resurrection of Jesus Christ never happened. Why would you have somebody like that come and speak? But that's who they had come, and he did that for two and a half hours. He quoted scholar after scholar, book after book. He concluded that the beliefs of the church were groundless, emotional, mumbo-jumbo, because they were based on a relationship with a risen Christ who, in fact, never rose from the dead. Imagine how the crowd took that. At the conclusion of his lecture, he asked if there were any questions. After 30 seconds of silence, an old preacher with a head of white hair stood up in the back of the auditorium. Dr. Tillich, I've got, I've got a question. Every eye turned to him. He reached into his sack lunch and pulled out an apple and began to eat it. Excuse me, I know you're hungry. He said, my question is simple. I ain't read, never read them books you read. I can't recite the Scriptures from the original Greek. I don't know nothing about Nibbler or Hedger. He finished up his apple. He said, all I want to know, the apple I just ate, was it sour or was it sweet? Dr. Tillich paused for a moment and then answered, I can't possibly answer that question because I haven't tasted your apple. White-haired preacher dropped the core of the apple back into his crumpled bag, looked up at Dr. Tillich and said calmly, neither have you tasted my Jesus. A thousand plus in attendance couldn't contain themselves. They erupted in applause and cheers. Dr. Tillich thanked the audience and promptly left the stage. Now, you may intellectually agree with everything I've said here today, 
But if you've never tasted Jesus' resurrection for yourself, your agreement is meaningless. The resurrection will change your life. But only if you personally trust and follow the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It is the only way it's going to change your life. The devils believe. They say, yeah, yeah, that happened. Body was gone. And they even know. The demons even know. Not changing them. Are you ready to taste the resurrection? Jesus Christ lives. And I can tell you that because I have tasted the resurrection. If you'd like to taste it today, I encourage you to come up. But Chuck's going to be here in just a minute. He'll receive you. You know him. You may not know me, but you know him. You come up here and say, I want to taste the resurrection. I want to confess Christ. I want to be baptized into Christ. I want to touch the resurrection. I want to feel it. I want to know it. And you do that. And if you're a Christian, and maybe your taste buds have gotten where you've not been tasting right, you just want to rededicate your life, what better day than the day we celebrate the resurrection of Christ? He lives. Amen? Let's stand and sing about it and make the decision that God's called you to make.